knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists, and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime, and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry. The staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans too, so get over to PacoCollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had, and don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. You guys, I'm so excited. For the first time ever, the dog people of the internet are going to be gathering together in person. Worked Up Camp. It's a three-day camp September 29th through October 1st in Port Orchard, Washington. It's for you, the dog people of the internet, who have participated in in-person Worked Up seminars and online Worked Up classes. We're going to gather to progress those skills that you learned in the seminars or in the classes. We're going to do arousal layering games. We're going to take those to the next level. We're going to focus on those clean training practices that you have learned are so important. We're going to get you in and out of the ring. So how do you actually apply these worked up skills to a competition-like setting? And what do you do in competition when things go wrong and you can't do a cookie scatter? It's going to be all of that and so much more. And the best part is going to be this amazing community of people who I have seen come together online to support each other as you work with your worked up dogs and support and love your worked up dogs. I can't wait and I hope you're excited too. So join the Facebook event page. Just search for Worked Up Camp on Facebook to find the event and then click interested or going and then you'll get all of the updates about it as we continue to produce those updates. And of course, at any time, if you've got questions about anything, shoot me an email, cognitivecanine at gmail.com. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. I've just wrapped up my epic Australia-New Zealand trip. I've just done my fourth. We just wrapped our, up our fourth seminar and did a, with a half day of lecture um, today. And we'll be heading back to the States. But before I leave, um, I have roped Kelly Daniel into sitting down and having a conversation with me. Kelly owns hybrid dog training in Waikato, hopefully I said that right, uh, New Zealand, and hybrid dog training is called hybrid because Kelly's really interested in not just sport training, not just fitness training, but really training the whole sports dog. So hi, Kelly. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. That's okay. I'm really excited. Good. Um, So Kelly, why do you think it's important to train 
the whole dog. And I guess, what do you think that means? What does that mean to you? I feel like it's really important because first and foremost, the dogs are our pets and I want them to be happy. And I think to be happy, you have to look at multiple aspects because we ask so much of them in our sport. Yep. And I, I just think it's not fair to them if we just say, hey, do this crazy intense sport with all the stuff and then you've got to be okay the rest of the time. Because I don't think that happens at the moment. Yeah, so when you say that you want them to be happy, what does that look like to you? What's a happy dog? A happy dog can relax. A happy dog is okay in different situations. A happy dog wants to work. So basically the ability to relax, the ability to access coping mechanisms when things might be kind of hard, and the desire to work the desire to, sorry, the dogs are being funny. Um, the desire to work, maybe the desire to seek out reinforcement. Yeah. Right. I feel like that's not different from a happy person. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And how do you feel like we can help them live that more whole life, that happy life? I think it's just by being open to considering multiple aspects of what you're doing. Like it's not just all about the training. It's like what do you do at home? What are they getting fed? What other support are you getting for their body to keep them physically healthy? You know, how are you training them? Are you aware of what you are doing and the potential impacts? And what are some of the really common things? Because I totally agree. And I think that that these are conversations that I have with people most of the time in the States. Yeah. So what are the common conversations that you have with people here in New Zealand? It's definitely still a very new thing. So unfortunately, the conversations don't always happen when they should, which is really hard because it's really hard to talk to someone about something they might not feel comfortable or know much about. Mm, Yeah. But the issues that I see in New Zealand, and I'm sure it's not that different to other parts of the world, I see dogs that physically are struggling with agility. Mm -hmm. I see dogs that don't understand the skills they're being asked to do. In the ring situation particularly. And I see stress of many different forms being exhibited in the ring. And a lack of understanding that the dog is stressed and doesn't understand. Yeah. And um, the agility culture here is... It's the same as the agility culture in the United States in so many ways. But then the actual sport that you guys play is a little bit different from ours. Um, One of the biggest differences that I found interesting is the jump heights. You guys have what I would consider very extreme jump heights. Um, And so I would imagine that you're seeing dogs that are not physically capable of jumping what they're being asked to jump. Definitely, yeah. Um, So for reference, you guys... I'm not going to do the full breakdown, but both of my Border Collies are 19 inches and a half to 19 inches and three quarters, kind of depending on who you ask. And they both jump 20 inches in AKC and 22 inches in USDAA. And they would have to jump um, over 26 inches here. Yeah. So 26 is a jump height we used to have that was an optional jump height. Um that we don't even have anymore. Nobody even jumps dogs at 26 anymore in the States. We 24 is our limit, and they would have to jump over 26 inches here, just kind of for reference. And then your smaller dogs, 
it's almost more extreme. Yeah. Because there's an enormous jump from your media or from your mini, what you call it, to your medium. Definitely. So yeah. so my little Dio is three three one millimeters to the shoulder. He's jumping for fifty millimeters. Wow. And he's competing against spaniels and small border collies. And he's five kg. He's this tiny, tiny little guy, you guys. Yeah. I think it's further complicated by the fact we don't have any options, so you can't. That's the other thing, is we have the preferred and the performance option where we can actually drop a jump height if we want to, and you guys don't have that. No, we only have one sort of governing body, Mm -hmm. and there's no options in in heights, and I think it's even more complicated by the fact that we have a wind-based system. So you're pushing dogs to win, because you really can't get any of the qualifications that really matter, unless you can consistently win. And because you have a win-up system, which there's been discussion um, in the States about, you know, some people talk about how a win-up system, which exists in a lot of different places in the world, would be advantageous to us because it wouldn't be a cue-based system. And so it would be rewarding kind of excellence in the sport is the idea. Um, Versus you guys have this win-up system, and that's part of the reason you haven't shaken these jump heights, which are kind of archaic if I can like speak plainly they're very very extreme jump heights they are um and one of the reasons you haven't been able to shake them is if you make more options you just make the classes smaller and then it's easier to win yeah so at the moment we have to have a minimum number of dogs in a class to split it so if there's less than the minimum number Dio my little guy would be potentially competing against Chase the medium and Evo, the big, bigger border collie. So if we so add, you could literally group all the heights in a day and be competing against everything. If, if there's there a, weren't enough dogs, yeah. And it's literally it's they're all judged on the same standard. It's the fastest dog with the clean run wins. Yep. So you guys in the states who like complain about our system in America, I just want you to know that could be New Zealand. And- <laughs> And, like, we're really trying. Oh, and not to say you're not trying, because everybody I've talked to here is really passionate about advancing the sport. Yeah. And it's probably, you know, it's people who are maybe not Joe Average have come to these seminars that I've put on here, right? Yeah. But these people I've talked to are excellent trainers, excellent competitors, very interested in advancing the sport. But as we all know... Regulation changes are very slow going. I mean, it doesn't matter. It, like equipment changes in particular, very slow going. Yeah. The jumps you guys have only have the cups for the heights that exist right now. And vast majority of our jumps are wingless in competition. So just a metal upright. And we still have clubs competing with metal jump cups. So there's even still metal. <laughs> so, and the, the problem is... is so you can't, they're not easy to change. It's no. basically, it's not easy to just drill a hole in the wing and put another no. cup on it. Yeah. And it's kind of like this internal, well, constant struggle because yes, we want to be safe. Yes, we want to be like world leaders and be awesome mm-hmm. and be different. But we are a nation of highly competitive people. And mm-hmm. when you add the wind-based system on top of that... It gets crazy it intense. It gets really bloody. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, so competitive. You met a few of them this I did. I did. Um, and, yeah, really competitive. Really, the win-up system absolutely, I think, produces 
of course, a more competitive environment, which is, I think, one of the reasons a lot of people resist it in the United States. Um, and then is the same reason that some people cherish it other places. You, It remains competitive. Um, but it also maybe makes it so that these regulation changes can't take place any yeah. sooner. It just makes it more difficult. Like, I, re- I do, I really like it. Like, mm-hmm. I have a big sense of achievement that I've I think made. it's a good idea. Yeah, I do. Like, it's very cool that I've made two dogs up to champs and different mm-hmm. things, given that one's highly dog reactive and one's a 5kg poorly put together terrier mix thing. Right. Like, that's pretty cool. It's a big accomplishment. Yeah. Um, And not to diminish anybody's accomplishments, because I think that's individual, and that's based on kind of your own path with the given dog. But, um you know, moving up through the levels and say AKC in the States to me, is that, is that nothing? No, no, not at all. But it's something different from winning your way up entirely for sure. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting. So because these people are so competitive because they have to be, do you think that that has an effect on how they take care of their dogs in the, either a positive or negative light. I think it does indirectly. So the other thing with New Zealand is we're very limited with the gene pool and the availability of dogs. Yeah, that's been really interesting for me, actually. Yeah, I mean, to import to New Zealand is incredibly difficult and incredibly expensive. You're looking for at $10,000 plus to get a dog to New Zealand because we're rabies free. Yeah. And you can't get it till at least 10 months because of the regulations. So our gene pool is really limited. So we've picked and bred from such a limited line then we've got inherent health issues and the ones we've picked and bred from there's some spectacular dogs but they're very limited and all of the lines have different issues because we don't have a huge choice so we've got a lot of structure issues a lot of temperament issues for sure um but people gravitate to the crazy intense crazy high speed dogs Which they do everywhere. Yeah. But you guys have a tiny gene pool, which means that you're selecting from a very specific handful. I, like, literally, I reckon if you looked at the whole competing border collies, you could probably trace them all back to a handful of dogs. Yeah. Which, that's Dio, you guys, by the way. (laughs) He's the cutest little tiny thing. Naughty Terrier. to put in his... And by the way, he's Blue Merle. And when you hear a dog in my podcast, it's usually Ghost, who's also Blue Merle. And I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, it's definitely Um, a thing. (laughs) So that's happening in the States, too. We're getting a smaller and smaller amount of dogs being bred from, especially stud dogs. Yeah. And to me, I think it's silly and ridiculous because we have more options than that. We have access to a lot of dogs. A gene pool of border collies is enormous in the United States, mm-hmm. and then it's also not difficult to import yeah, a dog. Yeah, uh, we just have it's to... next to impossible to import a dog to New Zealand. Yep, and even importing semen to try and right because we discussed is... that, and it's yeah. about the same price tag. And it's... then you've got to find well, it's not about the same. It's definitely a little easier and a little bit less expensive, but you don't have that chance. You've not guaranteed success. Sure. So it's a quite a risk for people to take to import semen and then potentially not get a litter out of it. And also, you still have to find a bitch to that's, put it that's, to. That's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, it's big, big challenges. And, you know, in the States, we see um, 
absolutely see different factions within the breed and different types within the breed. And what I'm observing in New Zealand, and of course this could be totally wrong, but what I'm observing in New Zealand is that sheep outnumber people here. I think I was told 15 to 1. Like, there are more sheep than people here. There are a lot, yeah. There are a lot of sheep. I, I don't know numbers, but yeah. Annie told me it was 15 to 1, like okay. sheep to people. We'll go with what That's Annie outrageous. Says. There's a lot of sheep. I have seen more sheep than people, I would say. Um, which is great. It's ideal. Um, so there are a lot of working stock dogs here. Yeah. And here's what's really interesting, you guys. They've got these quote-unquote breeds, in particular the heading dog, that every time I've seen a heading dog here, I've thought, oh, look at this nice working style border collie. Like, oh, look at this nice ranch border collie. And every single time I've been corrected and told, no, that's a heading dog. But, you know, I never thought of them as being, because my issue is I can't find that working style border collie here that I want. Right. I never even thought that the heading dogs pretty much are. Right. Because <laughs> it's a cultural was... difference. Yeah. You're like, no, that's a heading dog. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so here's what's really interesting is that <laughs> you've got these heading dogs, which I'd be fascinated to DNA test. I'm told that at some point other things were mixed with them to give them the longer legs and the and more speed and things like that. Like, I've been told that so far this week yeah. as I've been here. And I don't – I'm not saying that that was not true. But they – somebody's driving by, so they often tell us. Um, I'm not saying that's not true. But what's interesting to me is your heading dogs look exactly like our working border collies that live on – yeah. mostly cattle ranches. They're kind of a cattle style because they're a little bit more upright, which is interesting because they're working sheep here. Doesn't matter. My point being, um, we have these split factions too. We just call them all the same name. Yeah. <laughs> and what is referred to as a border collie most commonly here um, in the United States would be labeled showbred. Yeah. They, everyone would think it was from a confirmation breeder. Um and so that's really, I just, for me, this breed fascinates me. The history of the breed is really interesting to me. And so I'm wondering when the split occurred. And I'm wondering, and I think, this is my guess, is that people who were actually using them for stock were never keeping track of pedigrees in the first place. Oh, no. And didn't care what they had as no. long as it worked. Yeah. And that's where the heading dog comes from, as well yeah. as um, there's something called a hunt away, which I don't think looks like a border collie much at all, no. but is the same kind of thing. It was It's a farm dog that yeah. doesn't need to have a pedigree or look at any specific way. It just needs to do a specific job. They have quite different jobs, the heading and yeah, hunt away. Yeah, and hunt away. Yeah. They're different dogs. On the farm, yeah. Um, which is why, again, they don't look like a border collie. No. Because they're not. No. <laughs> Whereas I think the heading dog is. And... You know, of course, there's probably going to be people that are like, ah! like, I mean, I was already attacked a couple of times for oh, thinking that, I, a, that a heading dog was a border collie. I no. was corrected quite sternly by a few people. I know our genetic tests suck for breed differentiation, but I would say that if you did the test on a heading dog, you'd get most of the markers of a border collie because of that shared ancestry. Because of the shared ancestry. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you something else, which somebody's going to want me to produce the research on this and... You're just going to make my assistant work too hard if you ask me to. So just take my word for the fact that um, at some point, a group of researchers in the States was doing um, 
a study on kind of the genetics behind noise phobia. And so, of course, they're looking at the Border Collie um, because noise phobia is such a really big problem in this breed. And the first group of dogs that they looked at was American stock dogs. So American dogs working on ranches. That was the first group of dogs that they looked at. And then the second group of dogs they looked at at were English and Scottish stock dogs. So dogs actually working sheep in England and Scotland. And the third group of dogs that they looked at were um, the bench or confirmation style dogs in Australia and New Zealand. And they threw the data out because they were too genetically diverse in comparison to the English and American working stock dogs. That's interesting. Which I found mind-blowing. Yeah. Especially considering the tiny population. Especially considering the tiny population. So anyway, we've gone on a completely unexpected track here because I'm just fascinated by the difference in the Border Collies here versus the Border Collies in America. But not all of them. I mean, there's definitely... There's still diversity in this breed here because which is good. Like the gene pool is still big enough that they don't all look like carbon copies of each yeah. other. That's definitely a good thing. But it is interesting how you guys feel really limited and you had told me that at any given show, everybody knows where all the dogs are from. Yeah. And everybody you know, and there you said there's heavy competition between litter mates. And owners crazy of litter mates. Yeah, crazy stuff intense. like that. Like if you get if you're lucky enough to get one of the performance lines considered, even though they're not. Yeah. Like, we don't have any true performance lines because of the limitations to the options. Um, It's hard to get a puppy, which is the same as anywhere, but, yeah, it's crazy intense. And it's not on purpose because it's just the the nature of things, right? Yeah, the high expectations of, I was lucky enough to get one of these amazing puppies. And now I've got to do something with it. I've got to show how amazing it is. It's the self-imposed high expectations. And... So back to what we were really talking about, which is these high expectations and this competitiveness. Are people better about doing fitness and good diets and exercise because of that or or not? No, they're worse. They're worse. And talk to me about why. Or why you think it is or what, what your perceptions are there. I don't think it's a conscious decision. I think it's just we've come from this New Zealand environment where we haven't had access to amazing trainers like we do now. Yeah. Um, it's only really recently we've had access to online training. So when I started Agility, and it was only about 10 years ago or so, everyone did Greg Derrick style. Uh-huh. You literally were not allowed to do a blind cross. No I one was doing Greg Derrick 10 years ago too. Yeah, no yeah. one did opposing <laughs> systems. There was very few yeah. people actually teaching agility. You just figured it out at club. Yeah. And you just threw them on the course. Which is kind you... of like, that's like the grassroots of agility, right? It's yeah. like we all kind of just figured it out at club. But yeah. that wasn't as long ago for you guys as no. it was for us. And I feel like we're just, like we're trying really hard and there's heaps of things we're so progressing on very fast. But I think it's still people haven't quite clicked on that. My dog sucked in that run, indeed. Maybe it's because of my training and maybe it's not fit like they just haven't quite clicked on the like yeah my dog just he knew that rap and he just didn't do it yeah like it's really having that bigger picture to just my dog didn't do a rap in the ring they suck or so maybe i didn't train my dog to rap and maybe my dog's not physically capable of rapping yeah it's just 
we just haven't quite reached that point where we are looking more holistically or maybe they didn't get enough of a sniff around in the morning and they were just a, a little bit overwhelmed by the environment and they just had to yeah. stop like do you know what i mean it's, yeah it's just i think at the moment we're a little bit like it's just the skill in the ring it's not the that's other all things that's impact. being looked at yeah it's sure. not and sometimes it's not even like i haven't trained it right it's just he couldn't do it in the ring yeah so yeah it's, it's having that bigger picture too like maybe they're not doing so well on their food right now and their tummy's a bit upset and maybe I didn't give them the time to settle in in the morning and sniff and have a chew on something. And maybe they're a little sore on that, like that hind right, and that's why wrapping that weight hurt. Yeah. And and physically was was tough. Yeah. And one of the things Frankie mentioned is that um, she feels like people are running dogs in a kind of chronically injured state really, really frequently. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I would say that I see any given show five to ten dogs that I yeah have because to. you are trained to actually be able to see those really minute you know pieces of gate and maybe not always yeah totally <laughs> maybe not. not always hard to see but but hard to see for the person running the dog because they're yeah. not looking for it yeah and it it hurts me yeah <laughs> to see that it's like it hurts me to see them out of their minds yeah right like once you can see something you can't unsee it and it's like yeah. really hard to know who can deal with having a chat about it. So, like, mm, I'm quite mm-hmm. comfortable to chat to people that come to me for lessons. Like, so-and-so was having trouble with the weave. So I'm like, cool, let's have a look. Right, he's sore here and here. Let's send him to the physio. Cool, sorted. But it's really hard to have those conversations with people that you don't know and yeah. you don't have that relationship with. But then who's having the conversations with them? Like, someone, no one. someone needs to be. That's a hard line to walk for sure. Um, I kind of have a rule that I don't approach people at trials when I see their dogs totally losing their minds. Um, What I do instead is if I've helped somebody and they're thanking me for helping them, Dio says, you haven't helped me once. I've been locked up. Um, I always say to them, you know, thank you, and I'm so appreciative that you're telling me this, and can you just, um, if people ask you how your dog is looking better, if anybody gives you a compliment, could you do me a favor and talk a little bit about what we've done? Yeah. And I've only said that, I really only say that to people that are were friends or maybe people I helped kind of on the fly. Yeah. Um, I haven't had to say it for people who have kind of taken the online classes and stuff like that. And they've had, because word of mouth travels really quickly. Um, But sometimes you might see a problem that is like so overt. So, yeah. That you want to get in there. So, good example. One dog I saw, serious degeneration, how it jumped. Yeah. Like crazy over quite a short period of time. So, I found that person's instructor and had a chat to them. Ah, yeah. Um, and that's the only person that hasn't been coming to me for lessons or for workshops yeah. that hasn't asked yeah. opinions on the dogs that I've approached. That dog had a blonde disc and was jumping. Wow. And doing contacts and waves. Oh, wow. I know. So, but she's... You so guys, dogs are amazing and yeah. they will work through pain for us and we yeah. have to think about that. And she's gone through a rehab process and looking amazing and she's back to do, doing some jumpers occasionally, which is awesome. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. I really like that idea of approaching the instructor. I have actually done that a couple of times. If I knew the instructor better than the person, 
just go up and be like, hey, how's that dog doing in class? Like, could, you know, you know, talk to me about, you know, basically just as a friend said, how's that dog doing in class? Are they doing okay? And then um, actually every time that I've done that, because it's typically been an instructor that I know, they've said, I've been meaning to come up to you for that dog. You know, when's worked up running the next time? I think that when you approach it the right way, people can... People are usually grateful for the information yeah. if you can approach it the right way. But and the yeah. right way to approach it is usually not right after they're run at a trial, right? Totally. Not and right. sometimes not at a show at all, yeah. right? But maybe later, maybe an email, maybe, you know, Facebook message. Hey, totally disregard this if you want to. Yeah. I just want to mention to you that I saw a couple things um, and that kind of thing. That's, that's really hard. It is really hard. <laughs> so hard because I don't want to. So are you loud enough? Do you just go up to people and say, hey, your dog is lame? No. Because <laughs> I, I try to not be hated. Because if you're hated, you're not going to be a successful professional, right? No, it's not that. It's, I'm not going to be able to help the dogs. I don't want people to hate me. I you're in them. such a better place, yes. You're not going to – you're right. We – I don't remember who said it, but I heard it from – I heard it secondhand from Kathy Sedeo at a seminar that she did or one of her talks at Clicker Expo – you know, one of the many times that I've been, like, watching, listening to Kathy with my jaw in my lap. Um, but she said, we cannot teach those we cannot reach. Basically meaning, if you push somebody away, alienate them, you're not going to be able to help them. And you're not going to be able to help the dogs. And I think that, you know, where you're coming from, especially with, you know, from this kind of physical side of trying to help these dogs be more fit to do agility you really your end goal is help this dog and that's why it's really hard because i'm i've seen both sides i've seen my border collie stressed down at shows and not be able to do it and not know what to do and now i recognize it but it's really hard to see to tell you know i don't want to tell someone that unless they're ready to hear it but when it's the immediate physical health of the dog that's really you hard. Really want to get in there yeah. and say, "Hey, well, something's like, going on here." Yeah, they, this could be the difference for some dogs to being able to work to ten or being on medican at six. That's true, and not being able to compete. That's like, true. So it's really internally conflicting. <laughs> I understand it completely. I understand. And like the over arousal and that low stress. Yes, that's just as much of a concern for me. Yeah, just as much yeah. of a concern, but. And saying that the immediate health of the dog is might, not at risk yeah. when they're just kind of losing their losing their brain. brain. Yeah, it's Wait. not. It's not the, the same. Mental health, maybe. As, it's not the but. same as running with a with a disc. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not. But it is. So it's easy for me to kind of put it on the back burner, put my headphones on, mm-hmm. not look at it, compete with my own dog, maybe talk to somebody else if they approach me, or maybe talk to the instructor. But I can understand it being really tough I mean I've been sitting ringside with Leslie before and she's looked at me and been like this dog's got a cruciate like this dog's got a torn cruciate or not torn or you know injured cruciate or wow this dog this dog hurts somewhere oh man this dog is hurt like she will watch the dog and she'll be like ugh I can't watch this dog I know and that's what I have to do I have to turn around and leave and it's so hard yeah. And like I would be quite happy if someone asked and I've got like really great friends so happy when they ask and they're like I don't know if they're off. Can you watch my dog? I'm like, sure, sweet. I can't do anything yeah. about it. I'm not allowed to fix it, but I'm happy to tell you if I think your dog's off. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I've had people sit me ringside and say, you need to yell at me if you think my dog is off and I will stop immediately. I've never had to because they're already yeah. so aware of how their dog's moving. I've completely done that before. I've completely said to, I've done, I've been on both sides of it. I've yelled out because it was a friend. And I've also told a friend. To watch you. Like, the dog is totally fine outside the ring. Otherwise, I wouldn't take the dog inside the ring. Yeah. But this is my concern and can you watch for it? Right? Yeah. So... You do a lot of fitness training. Um, is that most of the clients that you see are doing fitness training, or do you, what else do you do? So people that come to see me normally come for agility training to start with. Yeah. Um, because and then I, it turns into fitness training yeah. because you need to have yeah. fitness training to do agility training. Pretty much. I get a few people that just come for some fitness. I work pretty closely with a rehab vet and a hydrotherapist Great. and a physio in the area, so we quite often refer back and forth. Yeah. Um, because I can't treat, but I can help once they're released from uh-huh. rehab or physio. I can help them keep strong. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I primarily do the agility training and combined with the fitness training. So everyone that comes for a lesson, we normally do work on some skills, do some agility, and then we'll go into the shed and do some fitness when the dogs are starting to tire a little bit from agility and need a break. Because a lot of that's talking through uh-huh. as well and giving yeah. them some little breaks in between work. And... So if somebody's going to do some fitness training, um, where do you think, because I think this is sometimes hard for people, even if they are trying to follow an online program or they kind of know what they're doing, if the dog is like a mess all over the equipment, flinging the peanut across the room and doing all of this stuff, um, what is an easier place to start for people? Because I think we just kind of make our dogs a little crazy in training, and totally. then we try to do fitness training, which yeah. involves a lot of stillness and deliberate deliberate movement. Yeah. How are we supposed to get this stillness and deliberate movement if, as soon as the dog is in a training scenario, they start to lose their mind and frantically throw out behaviors? Yeah. So definitely in the fitness context, the things I find the most important are getting those base exercises really solid, under stimulus control, highly reinforced on stable platforms or the ground first. Stable equipment first. Yeah. So everyone that, yeah. So everyone that. <laughs> Dio even barked. He was oh, like, no. yeah, stable equipment. So I can totally understand. So that's like the climb, or the you climb. can use, um, the, you know, the climb's not accessible to everybody, but these um, little fitness steps that yeah. you can get at like. Anything. Basic a fo- stores. A phone book wrapped in duct tape. A phone book wrapped in duct tape. You've so, heard it here first, people. Yeah, so I use so <laughs> people that come with me, and I can totally understand, because when I started, I was like, yay, the peanuts, donuts, so much fun, pretty stuff. Because it's so, so pretty and fun. I, know, I totally so get it. So I start them all on. I ask them to get an aerobic step that we cover with a non-slip An aerobic step. I, yeah. You, you see how I couldn't think of the word for that? That There might be a reason that I didn't really know what that was okay. called. Okay, <laughs> so... Long rectangular thing that if you were to go to the gym, which I don't know about personally for me, you would do step ups on mm-hmm, an aerobic step. Yeah. I have seen them at stores cheap. Yeah. Twenty bucks, New mm-hmm. Zealand, you can find one pretty easily. Yeah. And then two smaller boxes. Phone book ish size, but if you've got a smaller dog, you can get away with smaller. Yeah. And just as long as it If you're take... into buying stuff, the blocks for yoga. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they they tip a little sometimes, but yeah, definitely. Um, and then that's what I start them on, on the ground and on the... Stable the, equipment. Yeah. And to be honest, I still use that setup and equipment for my guys a lot of the time. And you're doing sit to stand, sphinx down, fold back down, 
um, back into a stand and these basic movements as well yeah. as like individual paw targeting and these basic, basic movements yeah. that I think people are not training because instead yeah. they're just luring the dog up over equipment. Yeah. Right? And so I do a lot of getting that on stimulus control. Like, can you wait until I ask right. you to put your so front feet? So that's actually on cue, which means it's not happening. Unless it's cued. Yeah, because it's dangerous if they just leap onto equipment. It so is. So that's the first thing is, can you put your front feet? Can you put your back feet on things? Yeah. When I ask you to? Yeah. Can you hop off when I ask you to? Yeah. And can you stay And on these there? are things that puppies can learn. Totally. Which is the cool thing, because agility people get a puppy, and they want to immediately start doing stuff. Yeah. And I know that you've heard me, like a broken record, continue to say, maybe don't do all that stuff. Maybe don't run tunnels and low bar sequences and all of that stuff. But you know what you can teach them? Yeah. Is these things that we're talking about. And there's a Back feet, front feet, hold all four, release off. So much. Sit down, back into a stand. Not even, there's so many base, sidestepping, reversing, going under something. All of those things puppies can learn. Individual paws. Can you lift a paw? So many base skills you can do that are safe for puppies given you don't do a big, like, 20 minutes. And highly repetitive. So you want to yeah. avoid those it's, things. You don't want to make it a workout, but yeah. you want to train. And it means that when you get to the stage where your dog's physically ready, you've got all the skills to put together an awesome workout. Yes. When their body is done growing, yeah. you now have all the skills. You don't need to spend a month training all those skills before you can actually yeah. get to the instability equipment. And, and that it means kind of thing. you can actually progress faster to those more Way challenging faster. workouts because they've faster. got great base skills. And all of those base skills are highly applicable to agility as well. Yeah. Like, can you turn to the left or the right? That's pretty useful. Um, I would say. <laughs> I would say. I would say that's really useful. Um, what are some of the other things that you... So fitness is obviously something that you and I both really feel needs to be a major part of everybody's kind of agility training. Yeah, every dog should be Every dog aspects. should be doing fitness Every work. dog not only should be doing fitness work, should be getting regularly checked by a professional. A hundred percent. We completely agree on that. Um, a rehab vet, a basically a professional who's actually um, has the qualifications to be giving an exam and making yeah. a diagnosis. And again, super hard in New Zealand. Yeah. We're really limited on you access. Are. Yeah, you are. But... You can always find someone who's more knowledgeable than you that is better than nothing. That That's a really, really good point. I totally agree. You can always find someone who knows a little bit more than you. Yeah. And that is always a good place to start. Um, and I think, you know, in the States, we, we're almost inundated with, like, bodywork professionals. We have, like, massage, chiropractic, um, rehab, and acupuncture and this and that and like at almost at any given like big show yeah you're gonna have like a ton of different professionals um having to me having hands on your dog that you trust yeah. on a regular basis is vital and if you don't know who to go to you find someone you admire in agility and you ask, and you them, ask them who they you say. ask them who they go to yeah yep. um and you can go to different people for different purposes absolutely like, there's nothing wrong with that no yeah you can't, and in fact, don't expect one professional to be everything to you. I think that we get into trouble when we do that. Um, and then, let's see. So we both really agree on fitness training. We both really agree on just really those foundation fundamentals before anything else. Let's talk for just a brief second about diet. Neither of us are nutritionists, but we're both really passionate about what we feed dogs. Yeah, this is, an, again, an area where we're pretty lucky in the States that we have access to 
just about anything. And in fact, some of our favorite foods are made right here in New Zealand and then shipped on over. Yeah, again, I think we're possibly a little behind in some aspects, um, just in terms of awareness of the impact of diet. Yeah. I'm, I am unlucky and lucky in that I had a really chronically unwell dog for my first dog. I had a husky mm. cross border collie who had horrendous um, allergies to everything in the world and was epileptic and had a whole bunch of immune system issues. And when I transferred him onto raw, he didn't need prednisone anymore. And that was enough for me to go, this is what works for me. Literally, and he was on prednisone because of the allergies. Because of the, that was before he started seizing. Okay, so he was on pred because of the allergies and the raw diet helped him get off of steroids. He went from having multiple patches where there was not only no fur, but he'd scratched till it bled. Oh. It's been normal. No scratching. Dio's singing a song of yeah. wishing he was on the podcast. He is on the podcast, though. Dio, you're on the podcast. <laughs> you can go. <laughs> so do you talk to your clients about diet? Um, as, again, what they would like to talk about. If they yeah. ask, I'll, I'll chat to them about it. Yeah. Everyone pretty much knows that I feed raw because I'm pretty open with the history. Yeah of my dogs and I'm really lucky to be supported by a raw food based um, company that helps me out. Yeah. Which are amazing and I love it. Um, so it's, it's a really key thing for me that diet having had the dogs with behavioral issues and the dogs with the health issues. Yeah. It's a big part of the puzzle for me. Big part. I think it's a really big part that I think a lot of people need to pay better attention to. Well, Kelly, we've covered fitness, we've covered diet, we've covered training, we've covered the nature of agility in New Zealand, we've covered border collie genetics. Like, we have, this is officially the most, I don't know what to call this podcast, but I'll I'll figure it out. No, don't apologize. It was perfect. But it's one of my favorite things to talk about. I think it was totally perfect. (laughs) So, So, thank you. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? Um, So, you can find me on Facebook. It's Hybrid Dog Training. Um, or I've got a, a blog page, which I might get Sarah to put in her notes. Um, <laughs> hybriddogtraining.blogspot.co.nz. Great. Okay. Yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll get you to put it somewhere as well. Yeah, give me the link and I will put that up. Um, so I'm going to say thank you so much for talking to me, as well as thank you so much for being part of bringing Leslie and I to New Zealand, because it has been a total dream come true. And I'm sad that we're wrapping it up, but it is time to go home. And we will catch you all next week. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.